0: This would be quite offensive to the feminist movement as we open this chapter, and it's no offense. It's just what was written by the prophet, and it's actually the word of the Lord to these people. So I'm just going to jump right into it here. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. (laughs) That's just... (laughs) who. Are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, "Bring wine, let us drink." The Lord God has sworn by His holiness, behold, the day shall come upon you when He will take you away with fishhooks, and your posterity with fishhooks. You shall go out through the walls broken. Each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into Hormon, says the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, at Gilgal, multiply, transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the freewill offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. Now, the cows of Bashan refer to these upper-class women (laughs) who were exploiting, as it were, the lower-class people. They were as well-fed cattle, pasturing on the land. Um, And it it may be that Amos, who is a farm boy, is thinking about that fertile uh, land on the east side of the Jordan, uh, kind of where Gad and Manasseh, And uh, uh, first camped, but this is is a great fertile land. But they were uh, pampered women that persisted in um, having the best of everything. Um, They actually insisted that their husbands, their masters, as it were, would supply them with their luxuries. So um, they just, in so many words, they just served their flesh and became alcoholics in in, in the process. Uh, they would simply, you know, trample underfoot the other people. The, they were the, you know, the great unwashed, the deplorables, you know, the, the lower class people. And, and so God is pointing out their sin. This is really just a continuation from the previous chapter when God's pointing out their sins and he's going through. So when God brings judgment, it's not like, hey, you know, what, what did we do wrong? No, the people are being warned, they're being told. You know, it's just like when you discipline your children. You always tell them, do you understand why you're receiving this correction? And a lot of times, of course, they don't want to hear anything. (laughs) Uh, No, I didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) Because I don't want that spanking, you know. (laughs) But they're not going to escape. You know, uh, it's just very sad. this is, he, God knows where they were living. God knows how they were living, the lifestyle they we were living. He knows their deeds, how they oppressed the poor and crushed the needy. And their, you know, the alcoholism is just an expression of living after the flesh, and intoxication. And they were, they were domineering it over their husbands. You know, and I think when a culture gets to that point where, where the women are, are like this and that attitude, you know that judgment's just around the corner. And I can't help but think about um, some of the expressions of the women in our culture today. It's just, there's no shame. There's no blushing. It's just full on, yeah. So, the Lord, have a message. The days are coming. And you and your children. Now, literally, the Assyrians, when they came in, they could have used f- hooks, and they, they're just gathering them up and forcing them through the gates, and if you can't keep up, they'll drag you out, either kill you or make you get back up, and the carcasses were piled and left. I mean, this is brutal. You're going to go out broken. You know, you'll be cast into Harman. They don't you know—that really know exactly what that means. Some people think it's hermon the mountain, but... That's quite a bit removed from here. Um, but the idea is that um, they're, they're going to you know, cast upon Herman, they're going to make a big heap of, of the dead bodies, those that can't make it, those that can't keep up, those that are too soft and too drunk, maybe, you know. Uh, so they're going to suffer greatly, and what's coming basically cannot be stopped. In 4, uh, four and 5, it's really a, it's a sarcasm. You get, you can't really miss it. It's from, from what I can understand, a little bit from the Hebrew. It, it's it's pretty obvious in the Hebrew, not so much in the English. Um, <laughs> Bethel was the hub, the main place that they have made some of their offerings and their sacrifice and their idolatry. And Gilgal was a place where, if you remember, with Joshua they came over and they. Did the circumcision there, and then they put rocks, made these pile of rocks for remembrance, and the generations to come. Hey, what are those pile of rocks doing there? Well, this is when the Lord brought us over, and so it turned into a place of sacrifice and idolatrous So and then he, he goes on, uh, um, and mentions, uh, you know, the three there, Bethel, Gilgal. in their uh, their vain worship. Go ahead and sacrifice to these false gods. What are they? They're just demonic spirits. Go ahead and pay your tithes every three days. See, they're doing everything. It's just an outward expression. They want to appear to be religious. It's it's the appearance uh, of godliness, but denying the power thereof and I tell you what there's so much that that goes on in the world you're just going to church to look and fit in or you, it's all about what other people think it's it's the horizontal completely horizontal their worship was absolutely pretentious um they they were not offering their offerings to god none of this was to the lord as we mentioned Israel was way off base never once was any of the sacrifices in those you know, 150 years or so that they were together. Not one of those offerings went to the true and living God. They were they were on the wrong. They were offering it to the the golden calf. The tribe, right? Yeah, the ten northern tribes. This is who he's who who he's announcing this to. And so there's so you can go through the you can go through the the rituals, you can do the things, but it's for what, for what reason? You know, you can sing the songs. it sounds so good, but the praise is hollow. There's nothing there. You know, this is very... Oh, these are just primitive people. They didn't know any better. Well, I can tell you it's present in our culture like there's no tomorrow. I mean, there's some tremendously gifted musicians that have no business being in a church building. They're not saved. They are paid musicians to come in and play music for these people. I've been in... I visited some of those churches in this area. Had to w- I wish I would have taken earplugs a couple of places. That is, uh, you know, there was no presence of the Lord. I'm, I, I'm not saying that I have a, a, a um, an inside track to the presence of God. <laughs> Please understand that. But I do, I think I'm aware of when God's presence is there. And it wasn't there. I was, if it wouldn't have been for embarrassing my family, I would have got up and walked out. But I didn't. I, at least one of the places. But I think that worship was pretentious. I don't think it was. It, it's and this is what Timothy talks about. In the last days, there would be people would it would be sensual. The worship would be sensual. It feels good. It sounds good. But well, just because it feels good and sounds good doesn't mean that you're actually one with God. You know, sometimes you, you can come to church and you absolutely feel rotten and you just, man, you're just not there. You feel like you're just scrambled eggs, right? But if you take that moment and by faith, you offer the sa- that's the sacrifice of praise. I mean, you, when you take that step of faith when you don't feel like praising God, Because of what you're going through, or how you feel, and you actually get your eyes off that, and you worship him, that is the sacrifice of praise. And you know what? You can tell the Lord comes to you, and what happens? You're changed. That burden's lifted. That's what we're talking about when it comes to worship. It isn't how you feel, necessarily. I mean, I hope you feel, sense joy, but joy's not based on this, is it? It's... It's your spirit connecting with God. The, these people had no idea what that was like. They were just following church tradition, if you will. And because they were living after the flesh and they were living in disobedience, then judgment was coming. And in, in verses 6 through 11 here, and this is a short, nice little short chapter, um, he's allowing these things to happen. He's trying to correct them. The last thing and this is what I don't think people outside the faith understand the last thing God wants to do is to judge people. Just like you as a parent the last thing you want to do is spank your child. You know, we always every child has heard this. Now this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. (laughs) I don't believe you. <laughs> but if you, it, you almost have to, as a parent, go through that to, to experience what that means. Because I did a couple of times, I did not want to have to spank my kids. And I didn't have to do a lot of it. They were decent. They, they, but when it happened, it, it, I always just felt, in doing it, Horrible. And so in this case, and just like we do, is again, parenting, you do a lot of things that are not considered direct spankings. You ground them. You deprive them of privileges. Uh, no, more, no more video games. <gasps> That's the worst punishment of all these days. But look at the list here. We'll read it and we'll look at the list here, 6 through 11. Also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when there were still three months to harvest. I made it rain on one city and I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and where did it not rain? The part with withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water. But they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees. The locusts devoured them, yet you have not returned to me says the Lord. I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young man I killed with a sword along with your captive horses. I made a stench of your camps come up into your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. So there's this kind of poetic delivery of the message here. Hunger, drought, disease, I mean, plagues, war, and these righteous judgment. And notice that some were spared in judgment and some were taken in judgment. I mean, this is an amazing thing how God, we kind of saw this happen with, uh, if you were paying attention with the COVID, those who really loved the Lord Actually, like some of the businessmen that I know, they had some of their best years. Those two years were like incredible for them. And isn't this the craziest thing? And then there's other people that really took it on the chin. Um, God has a way of measuring out judgment, whether it's the wicked or the righteous. He is amazing at how he can do that. Just like he controls the rain. You know, they call that, we call that scattered showers. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it, the Lord is in control of who gets the rain and how much and when they get the rain and how little. It's, it's just, I don't know about you, but when you read a, par- a passage like this in context, you realize God can do anything he wants to the degree that he needs to. He is, he, it's just a marvel to me, Um. Remember, if remember, this was the time, Jeroboam the second, God sent a wave of prosperity upon the nation. They were really doing well, and, and he was blessing them to hopefully humble them. I remember hearing a guy saying he was just barely making it as an actor, and he just like, I don't know, I'm going to have to get a job at McDonald's or something. You know, I just don't know how this is going to work out, and he got a little gig, and it wasn't much of one, but the the, the whatever he, part he got, the movie did really well. And he, he was hoping to get maybe a few thousand dollars. So he got a $60,000 check and he started crying. Sometimes that's when God is good to you and you don't really expect it. That's how you, you know, respond to that. You're just overwhelmed by grace. And I think that's why God prospers people sometimes. I just want you, I love you and I'm going to prosper you. And he does set to... Uh, Even the wicked, I think, he's good and kind to the ungodly. Believe it or not, which is another mark of his grace. Uh, But then, when they begin to sin, like they've sinned against their brothers, when the leadership, as we've read, when they were mean to the people, when they lorded it over, and the. And the, the women treated their husbands this way, and the husbands didn't take charge of their home, and they weren't caring for their home, and they were oppressing the poor and the needy. We have this whole list. Then he starts to correct hunger, drought, disease. You know, you cannot go against the word of God and prosper. You're, some of us have um, remember the, ch- uh, the the covenant chast- chastisement. Le- Leviticus uh, 26 and 27, uh, Deuteronomy 28. Uh, if you go, if you disobey me, you're going to get hungry. Uh, if you disobey me, I'll, I'll shut up the heavens. Blight, mildew, locust, it's all, the plagues, the military defeat. When you go out against your enemies, you're going to You're going you're to lose they're going to get the best all that's in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus and, and God brought it to pass in the days of Amos so you can, cannot go against the word of God If I've got these passages listed here which we won't take the time to go through but if you just look in those, primarily in those two chapters you'll see that list and to a T God brought it upon his people Correct them. God is trying to get them to turn their ship around and they're rejecting that correction. And we know how this you know ends. You know, it just um, it doesn't end well, right? And so we get to the final parts of the chapter and this is where um, Yahweh's gotta do what he has to do. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is, and makes the morning darkness and treads on the high places of the earth. The Lord God of hosts is his name. Prepare to meet God. I remember where I used to live um, in Northern Indiana, when I was a little boy. There was this cross. It was made out of um, metal, corrugated metal. Had the waves in it, you know, like like the old buildings. Crude, but big. Prepare to meet God. <laughs> was, and I'm, you know, I'm like five or six years old. I'm like, I wonder what God's like. You know, what does that mean? Well, my parents couldn't really tell me, so I didn't find out what that meant. But what, what does it mean? Prepare to meet your God. Well, this is kind of like a, a military summons. Get ready for battle. And in this case, there's going to be, you're going to see God f- for the first time face to face because some of you are going to die. Judgment's inescapable. Judgment's inescapable. And you're going to answer to God for the life that you lived, essentially. So it's an invitation for them uh, to get ready for this final catastrophe. And, um, you know, I had this conversation with Kathy. I think about Solomon, who lived his life, had all the women, had all the money, had all the time to do what, whatever he wanted to do, he did it, and he did it with all his heart. It was amazing, and he was miserable. He was absolutely, you can fulfill the lust of the flesh to the max, and you're miserable. And so it's really a sad, you would think, you know, you hear guys talk about, oh, uh, I don't know what the guy's name was now, but he, he ran Playboy magazine, and, he, you know, he lived to be 80s, and what, yeah, that guy. Oh, wow, did he ever make? no, he didn't. It's empty. It, it, no, it's it's just it's out of order. It's, there's no fulfillment there. It's just not at all. So I hope Solomon repented, and there's hope by his writings in Ecclesiastes. It, what's the last chapter? He goes through the whole thing, right? What? Vanity. Yeah, vanity. Yes, vanity of vanities. Remember God. Don't forget God in your youth. Not only are you supposed to remember God and not forget him, but fear him. That's why he did what he did. He lost the fear of God in his life. And it, it sent him into a dismal emptiness. How sad. You know, it, you know, people say, I'm just not very happy. There's a good possibility is because you don't have the respect for God that you should have. There is a connection there. If you reverence God and you realize that you're going to stand before him and he's going to ask you, what did you do with the life that I gave you? That's really a sobering question. Even for those of you who who knew and had your path and you cut it because you felt like God wanted you to do it and you walked with the Lord your your whole life, it's still... It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, is it not? And this is what he's saying. He's describing the one who, the creator, forms the mountains, creates the wind. You're going to go up against God in war? You're going to resist him and not receive the correction? You're not going to like the outcome. You have no idea who you're tangling with here. And these people, oh, I I listen to these atheists debate, you know, Good Christians. John Lennox is the best, by the way. You guys ever listen to John Lennox? He's the uh, mathematician. He's a um, professor at Oxford. I love his accent, too. He's sharp. He's an older gentleman. He's really sharp, and he, he really has a loving personal relationship with the Lord, and he just he cuts right to the chase of some of these guys. But they have some of the things that they say. Ay ay ay. You they have no idea that this conversation that they've just unloaded. <laughs> God's going to like okay. Now you want to say that one more time, son? Yeah, their hands will go over their mouth and the shame will come. You know, and on and hopefully through the witness of Christians um you know, they'll come to they're just blind. You know, you have to have compassion. I think that's what makes John so good at that is he, he doesn't get angry and mad at these guys because he understands they're just blind. And uh and some of you know, I don't like them to, I don't like them to insult God. It bothers me. So I you work I get a little worked up and I'm like and he just kinda rolls right through and says, Well, you know, it seems to me, you know, <laughs> he's just got a great way of going about it. Uh, but the thing that is, I want to end with here is the word that we started with. The very first word says "here." It is the word uh, "shema" in the Hebrew. and it, it means obviously to listen and to 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 comprehend. Uh, it, so it's really what it is here is God's giving them an invitation to listen and appreciate what He has to say and understand with corresponding action that would uh, dissuade God and turn him away from having to bring judgment upon them. So when you come across the word hear, it's similar to the New Testament when Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, that isn't like, oh, I heard the message. And this is, again, the problem in the Western culture. We are intellectual. We think if we have the right facts, and we know the truth that that is equivalent to faith. It is not. Your faith is not in your head. Your faith is in your, your, the deepest recess of your being, which is your soul and your spirit. I trust God. That's more than just my head. That is coming from my heart, right? That's what God is after. When you turn to me with all your heart, when you turn to me with all your head, And all you're hearing, your ears. No, that's not what it says. It's when you turn to me, and we'll get into this next week. Seek me and live. Even after all this, it's seek me. And so, well, I don't know if God's there. Anybody that says that to you, just say, if you ask him, he'll show himself to you. They can't handle that. They're, you know what strikes a person? Fear. They're afraid. I had this encounter with a guy, and I was I started to witness him. So I said, I, 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 don't, I don't believe in God, Jesus. I don't believe in you know that God. I, I, I served this, you know, it wasn't Buddha, but it was somebody like that. And I said, oh, really? And so I said, well, I challenge your God to heal. Can your, you've got a problem right here. He had been in an accident, and he was limping. And I was, I was really, I wanted to pray for him. He was at the auto parts, and he came out to help me with something, so I had him cornered <laughs> and uh he totally he totally as soon as I challenged him, he backed down. he didn't want prayer, but he didn't there was no you know so did he really you know his little God's in his head, mine's in my heart, and I'm ready to do business because I know my guy can heal, and I wanted the presence of the Lord to touch him. It didn't work out the way I hoped. Maybe I was a little too strong. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I, when someone says it the way, he delivered it the way he did, it's like, I, look, bro, you're, that's just, you're being phony. You're just, that's a, that's a verbal stiff arm. I don't want to talk about it because I'm living a life of sin and I'm kind of enjoying it and you're going to mess it up if I get, it'll get messed up if I get right with God. That's why people don't come to the Lord. That's why the atheists don't turn to God. It's always a moral issue. Deep down, I know that I'm not living my life for God and I'm not right with Him, so therefore, it's better that I just deceive myself into thinking He's really not there. And that's sad. It's not complicated. But I pray we'll be able to hear what the Spirit has to say and respond with appropriate action Uh, tonight as we pray though